The text for the sermon this afternoon is the Word of God, as we have summarized it and confessed it in Lord's Day 52, question and answer 127. Let's read that Lord's Day now. You can find it on page 563 of your I think Akron is close enough to Cleveland where they can claim him as their Lord's Day 52, question answer 127. This is our confession. What is the sixth petition? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That is, in ourselves, we are so weak that we cannot stand even for a moment. Moreover, our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh do not cease to attack us. Will you, therefore, uphold and strengthen us by the power of your Holy Spirit so that in this spiritual war we may not go down to defeat but always firmly resist our enemies until we finally obtain the complete victory? Thus far, our confession. Beloved in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, this afternoon we're going to be looking at the final petition of the the Lord's Prayer. There's six requests that are made there, and this is the final one before what we call the doxology, those words of praise to our Lord and God and Father. Now as we come to this final petition, this final request of the Lord's Prayer, we, we find that this is a request, a petition that we speak best in our lowest moments. When we know ourselves, when we know our weaknesses all too well, when we have fallen, when we have stumbled, where we're crawling, where we call on God from the depths of our hearts, not out of some sense of obligation, but out of an incredible sense of need. We call on him asking for his strength, asking for his deliverance, for his sustaining. We stand before powerful enemies. We've been brought low by them. They frighten us. They humble us. They're enemies who draw us into sin, who draw us away from God. And in those moments, those lowest moments in our lives, we come most earnestly to God and say this petition most passionately. The challenge for us is that we don't say it as much as we should. That it's those moments when we are so low, when things have gone so wrong, that we feel so close to God. But when that moment of weakness, when that moment of trial passes, perhaps you've had that, you feel yourself longing for that closeness that you had when you were low. And this petition, this prayer that we make, that the Lord gave us, is a prayer that calls us to be reminded of our weakness, of our low points, every day as we make our prayer. To be aware of how small we are, to be aware of how strong our enemies are, and to be aware of the Father to whom we belong. So that's what we're gonna look at this afternoon. Now it begins with a healthy fear. 
You know, some fears are healthy. I think for parents here, we've had that. A child who is not as afraid of fire or of the road or of the water as they should be. They run across the road. They, they run into the water or by the pool. They go to touch the, the barbecue or the stove. They don't have a fear. They should, but they don't. They should have a healthy fear. Fear of electricity, fear of fire, fear of fast-moving cars. And in all of life, there are also healthy fears. And it comes to that as well when we think of our life in Christ. We know that there are powerful enemies that stand against us in this life. Enemies that will try to separate us from the God who is, the God who has spoken, the God whom we love. Our confession, speaking from Scripture, speaks of three enemies. The first is the devil. This is an enemy who finds us and exploits us. We don't know all of the details about the devil. Sometimes there is an unhealthy fascination with the devil instead of a healthy fear. But what we do know from Scripture is that he is a fallen angel, an enemy of God. He is the instigator, the one who drew Adam and Eve into the fall, who caused our first parents to stumble, to fall, and to rebel against God. In our life, what he does as our enemy is he tempts us. Satan is the accuser. He's the one who tempts but he's also the one who accuses. And he is so skilled at what he does. Each and every person here has likely experienced his work, that twofold work that he does. The tempting, the drawing you away, making you fall, making you sin, drawing you in, enticing you, and then when you do fall, turning around and then accusing you and saying how pathetic you are. How could God ever love you now? In 2 Corinthians 11, verse 14, Paul speaks of the devil as someone who masquerades as an angel of light, someone who deceives people and draws them into his way of thinking to his side. What that tells us is that in life, we see that also with the fall, He draws them in. He offers them something. We give the devil a foothold and he crashes through the door and he does such damage. In 1 Peter 5, which we just read, Peter talks about Satan, the devil, as a prowling lion looking for someone to devour. He feeds us an idea of what life should look like of what would make our life so complete, what would give us such pleasure, and then we open the door to him and that which looked like a promise of light turns out to be darkness and he devours us. He's a fearsome foe. Today we often are somewhat sheepish when it comes to talking about Satan, about his existence about his activity in the world. 
But that is unwise, that is unhealthy. We should have a healthy fear, an awareness that there is someone who is evil, not just evil, but an evil one. And the second enemy that our confession speaks of is the world. And we read about that in, in 1 John 2. We read about it throughout the New Testament. We also see it in the Old Testament, the, the conflict between Israel and the nations around Israel, the, the world outside of the people of God. The world refers to many things. In, first, in John 3, 16, it says, God so loved the world. That can also, like, there it refers to the, the created order, the people of God. And this creation that God so loved. But in other places in Scripture, it refers to the unbelieving world. And this is the world that is an enemy to us. It's the world that follows the path of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve fell in the garden and they went down a path that led away from God. The world is on that path and it embraces that path, it loves that path. And loving the world and having a desire to be friends with the world, that is something that is always there for us. We live in the world. We can't insulate us, insulate ourselves from the world. We, we have our neighbors all around us. We have co-workers. We have classmates. We have a context in which we live. That is the world. And we have this desire to be liked by the world. It is not something that we rejoice in, that the world hates us, that the world rejects our Savior, that the world rejects God, that the world goes against God's will. We don't have to rejoice at being hated, but the challenge is that we want so much to be liked. We want to be accepted. And that is a challenge for us because the world is at the end of the day an enemy to the kingdom, to Christ, to our heavenly father. First John 2 talks about friendship with the world as being hatred of God. What happens is we want to be accepted by the world and so we sterilize the gospel. We bring a gospel that the world would like to hear. Those are the Christians that you will see speaking for us on the news, on the web. They've taken the gospel message and they've taken out all of the things that the world doesn't want to hear. And that's something that we would sometimes like to have. Where you can stand and say, I'm a Christian but yeah, I'm not all into all that other stuff that some of those really conservative wackos are into. No, I'm a nice Christian. I'm a progressive Christian. I'm a modern Christian. Those other people, yeah, they're, they're caught up in, in hating women and hating gays. They're on the wrong side of history. They're not in 2016. 
The challenge for us is that if we crave that friendship with the world, if we crave that acceptance, we have to make the choice to compromise our relationship with our Father. Because he has said, this is how you are to be. This is what it looks like to live as a human being. And if we say, I would rather be liked by the world than obey God, we have said friendship with the world is more important than friendship with God. That's what John means, 1 John 2. Friendship with the world is hatred of God. When the darkness praises your light, when the flavorless praises your saltiness, you know that you have reached the point of your own obsolescence. It means you have no purpose. What is the point of being exactly like the world? I use this example with my catechism students. The Lord Jesus says in Matthew 5 that we're to be salt and light. That means we are supposed to be different than the context in which we find ourselves. We add something to the context in which we find ourselves, but we are different. If you went to McDonald's and you said to them, I would like to have fries salted with salt that tastes like unsalted French fries think that through, they would look at you like you were quite odd. They might even say, sure, I'll do that. Don't salt his french fries. That's what it's like to be a Christian that the world loves. A Christian who is just exactly the same as the world. You have no point. You're a social club. You're a place people go to play bingo and have community events, but you're not a place that belongs to Jesus Christ. And what that means is that that enemy, the world, forms your heart, forms your desires. You know, 1 John 2 speaks about that, the world and its desires, that is such an enemy to us. You know, there's supposed to be a distinction between the church and the world. Sometimes we don't wanna hear about that. You know, previous generations talked about the antithesis, that there was a conflict between the church and the world, that there is a difference there, a conflict. We like that to be kind of taken away because we don't like conflict, but it has to be there. There has to be a distinction. You know, think about that when you look at your life. Think about how pervasive this enemy is if I talk to you about entertainment choices, the music that you listen to, the TV shows that you watch, is the temptation to roll your eyes? Here the minister goes again. Or is your temptation perhaps to say, you give it to him, you tell him. But what if I told you about your desire to have nice things, about money, about the choices you make for what to do with your money, how you choose to live out your faith in your community? What kind of clothes you wear? 
What shapes your desires? Does the Spirit shape your desires? Who tells you what is popular? Who tells you what is desirable, beautiful? So often it's the world. That's something that should convict us. It's always a good practice to look at your life and say, why do I think this is such an important thing in my life? Is it because everybody else says that it's an important thing in my life? If I had to give it up to be true to God, would I do that? This conflict with this enemy, this power of this enemy is felt most powerfully in those moments when we feel ashamed of God. That's something that's coming more and more for us. When you think about how people view you when they see the way you dress on Sunday, when they see the things that you do that go against what they do, if you support certain causes that follow God's will, Think about it, abortion, gay rights, the role of women, the role of men, what marriage is supposed to look like. You know, for young couples here, perhaps you've had this, older couples, you probably don't realize this. When I do pre-marriage classes, one of the things that the women tell me is when they try to set up a joint bank account, they are looked at like they are idiots. Why would you want to do that? These marriages, they don't last. It's so hard to break a joint bank account. What kind of fool are you that you would enter into this kind of relationship? They are made to be embarrassed about their commitment to their husband. But think about it also when we talk about our faith or when we want to pray. The world makes it so difficult for us to do that. The world is a powerful enemy. It is an enemy that is so hard to recognize. And this petition calls us to recognize the power of that enemy and to see where it's working. This is a prayer we make every day, not just to be protected from this enemy, but to recognize this enemy because it is so pervasive. And then the final enemy that our confession identifies from God's word is the flesh. And this is perhaps the most powerful enemy of all. We often will blame the devil or the world for things where we stumble and fall, but we forget that our sinful flesh is the guilty party. We are not simply puppets on a string that have no role in what happens to us. No, we are the ones who participate with our enemies. We become the third enemy against ourselves. Now flesh, that is a word used in scripture. Paul uses it quite often. John uses it. Flesh in the New Testament refers to our fallen sinful nature in Adam. And it's often contrasted with the spiritual nature that we have in Christ. 
a renewed nature. You have the old man, the new man, the old nature, the new nature. That old nature is an enemy. The challenge for us in this life is that there are often times where our sinful nature is given room to grow, room that it should not have, where we give in to what Paul in Galatians 5 calls the sinful cravings of our flesh. You know, when I was a kid, my, my father had lots of records and he liked musicals. And so we listened to a lot of different musicals. One of them was called My Fair Lady. And if you're familiar with that, that musical, there's a, a character in the play, in the musical, who's the father of the fair lady. He's a drunk. He's kind of a mischievous character, but somewhat lovable. And he sings a song with his buddies called With a Little Bit of Luck. And one of the lines in the song goes like this, the Lord above made liquor for temptation to see if man could churn away from sin. The Lord above made liquor for temptation, but with a little bit of luck, with a little bit of luck, when temptation comes along, you'll give right in. Now we all laugh at that as you, when you watch it, you laugh because you know he has no desire to get away from the alcohol, he's a drunk. But how often do we not have that in our lives? You know there's something that you should not do, that it is something that is part of your sinful nature, part of the sinful desires that you have. And so you won't go right into that kind of thing, but with a little bit of luck, you'll be walking along doing your own business and you'll fall right in. You think about it, you're on the internet and there's a news story and the picture looks somewhat alluring. I'm clicking on it for the article, but with a little bit of luck, maybe there'll be more pictures like that. You know that you're tempted by wasting time and you do something that is supposed to be work, but with a little bit of luck, maybe something will come along that will distract you for more and more time and allow you to, to gratify some kind of activity that you like doing, be it playing games or watching videos. You know that you shouldn't fight with your spouse. You shouldn't have arguments. And you know this is an area where you need to tread carefully, but with a little bit of luck, you can instigate something and you can let loose the anger that's kind of simmering below the surface. Think about it for all the different temptations that are there for you. Each and every one of you here has different areas of your life where you struggle, where you know you want to stay away from it, but with a little bit of luck. Maybe an opportunity will open itself up and you can have some sort of sense that I wasn't fully responsible. Now that enemy is so powerful. The old nature tries to draw us in and at times it's too strong for us and it's an enemy to be feared with a healthy fear. But even in the midst of all these enemies, we have someone else that we fear 
We fear the Lord. But that fear is a different type of fear. It is a respect and awe and a love all rolled together in one. That's a life-giving fear. Because we know that if we side with those enemies, if we give ourselves into those enemies, that we are opposed to him, the one who loves us, the one who saves us, the one who gave us his son, the one who defeated all these enemies, the one who is our only hope. And so we make this petition out of a fear for God, a love for God. And then we do all of this, we interact with those enemies, we confront those enemies briefly now with two other things in mind, a humble confession of how weak we are and a holy reliance on the God to whom we belong to, the God we fear. Because when we make this petition, we don't act like we are so strong that nothing will make us stumble, that nothing will make us fall. Now you can think of that like a soldier who goes into war. A soldier doesn't go into battle saying, I cannot wait till people start firing on me. Bring it on, I'm ready. No, the soldier says, I hope I don't have to, but if I do have to fight, I hope I'm given what I need to make it through. And that's something that we pray here with this petition too. We know that trials will come. We know that God will bring those into our lives. And we know we need to stand firm against them. Ephesians 6, put on the armor of God. But in this petition, we pray, Lord, I know that I'm not strong enough. I know how weak I am. Please uphold me. Carry me through. I am not confident in my ability to show you how strong I am, to show off my spiritual fervor. You know, 1 Peter 5 talks about being alert, knowing that we have a lion that's looking to devour us. And it's important for us to understand that that devouring lion is too strong for us on our own. William Hendrickson, in his commentary on Matthew, talks about this petition, and he paraphrases it this way. He uses the, an illustration from the health industry or when it comes to our own health. It says, Lord, grant that I may be so careful in observing the rules of health that I may not become ill, but whatever in thy providence befalls me, keep me close to your side that my faith may not fail. That's the sense of this petition. Lord, I will follow you. I strive to do your will. But when trials and temptations come, Keep me close to you. Don't abandon me to the evil one. Uphold me. And we make that prayer with a holy reliance. We know the God to whom we belong. This prayer is an act of holy reliance, standing firm in our faith. In 1 Peter 5, Peter calls his readers to, to humble themselves under God's mighty hand. He says in verse six, 
or verse seven, to cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. The sense there is, is you just throw it all on him. First John 2, the apostle writes to those children, fathers, young men. He writes to the young men. He says, I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Paul in Galatians 5 speaks about the fruit of the spirit, that we have God living in us by his spirit, causing love, goodness, patience, kindness, causing that to grow. In this prayer, we walk in holy reliance on God, saying, God, make the fruit of the Spirit grow in me. Form Christ in me. May the Word of God dwell in me richly. May I rest in your power, not my own. This petition is a call for us to walk in step with the Spirit. This petition is a cry out to God to guide us by His Spirit. We are set aside for service to God, to our Father. We live in reliance on our covenant God. We belong to him and we fight sin in this world with our king and we look to our king for strength. Jesus Christ died on the cross 2,000 years ago. He defeated our enemies. He put our sinful flesh to death. He defeated the world. He defeated Satan. In your moments of weakness, when you are brought low, look to your Savior. Look to Jesus Christ, the one who made you sons of the Father. And say with the words of Psalm 119, verse 94, I am yours, Lord, save me. Because your confession is that when you humble yourself under God's mighty hand, when you say, I am too weak to stand on my own, that those words of 1 Peter 5, come home even more powerfully. The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Amen.